It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. I'm Callum Jones. Britain has voted to leave the European Union. After one of the most remarkable political campaigns in modern history, voters this week defied expectations and endorsed Brexit, with a lead of almost four points. The immediate political ramifications of this result are stark. It marks the end of six years in office for David Cameron, and almost certainly for George Osborne too. It means a new Prime Minister, a new flank of the Conservative Party ruling this country, and there is even talk of another general election. I will do everything I can as Prime Minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months. But I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. This is not a decision I've taken lightly, but I do believe it's in the national interest to have a period of stability and then the new leadership required. As we record this week's podcast, only a few hours after the result was confirmed, the early economic fallout is also clear. The pound hit a 30-year low, the FTSE 100 fell around 4%, while the 250 slumped by about 8% to its lowest point since February. Here in the studio to assess the consequences and look ahead to what comes next is The Times economics editor Philip Aldrick and Catherine Griffiths, our banking editor. Our Brussels correspondent Bruno Waterfield also joins us down the line. Phil, what happens now? We're already seeing a, a massive collapse in the pound, and we've seen asset prices uh, in stock markets uh, tumbling in the UK and across Europe. Uh, there's going to be a period of, of uncertainty. There's going to be real fears that if contagion spreads into Europe uh, and we start to see signs of potential referendums being held over there, that could... You know, cause uh, the sovereign debt crisis to re-emerge. There's also fears about the stability of banks uh, in Europe and in, and in the UK. Uh, so we could, we could end up with this becoming a sort of a negative spiral. So today's events are the start of something worse. The other way this could go is that the Bank of England does manage to stabilise things. Uh, you know, they've put out sort of com- uh, uh, confidence-inspiring words such as, you know, we won't hesitate to act. Uh, if, if there's um, the right tone in the political establishment across Europe, that could calm things down there. Also, if, you know, the concept of referendums is, is, is you know, for the, for the future. So markets could, could stabilise. And then, uh, you know, actually, the, where we are... For, for the FTSE is is really not m- that much different to where we were at the start of the week, and the and the pound is not far below where it was uh, when Boris Johnson came in uh, and uh, said that he would be supporting the out campaign. So the sharp moves today may uh, not be repeated, uh, and we could actually see a period of stability returning. Um, but it is incredibly uncertain. Catherine Phil uh, mentioned Mark Carney's statement this morning. Uh, Bank of England very, very quick to act. Yes, I think the Bank of England has learned from the financial crisis that you need to get out ahead of the problem. There is a view out there in the market today that actually Carney was serving his own ends a bit and sort of saying, 
no need to worry about bank liquidity, we'll, we'll just step in and help when no one really was worrying about bank liquidity. And actually, there are quite a lot of people out there who aren't enormously fussed about what's happened today uh, from a financial markets point of view. Um, and I think as Phil has just said, I mean, one way to read things is that the market is really not very much down and sterling is not really very much off where it's been trading for a while. And I think there's a reasonable case to suggest that Britain's big banks are going to be just fine, really, um, although I think they ha- might have a bit of Brexititis. So any kind of problems that come their way in the next few months or year, couple of years, will be very handily blamed on Brexit. Big banks are facing really huge challenges in how they make profits in the future. That could um, be something they could certainly blame on Brexit. I mean, one, one point will be if if the Bank of England does cut interest rates, I don't know whether Phil thinks that's remotely likely or not, but if, if that happens, then that certainly would have a big impact on banks' profitability. Yeah, so, I mean, on that issue, there's economic... Uh, repercussions here. HSBC has already downgraded growth for 2017 from from 2.1% to 0.7%. So there is the potential for some kind of stimulus package, which would would mean a cut in interest rates. The Bank of England has said it can it can cut them by a quarter of a percentage point now, and it could also launch quantitative easing. If growth falls below 1%, then the Chancellor will be able to abandon his fiscal rules. This is assuming that George Osborne remains Chancellor. Um, uh, and he will be able to do some fiscal stimulus to try and uh, spur growth as well. So there are there are actions that could be taken. Obviously, what what needs people need to judge the scale of the problem that the UK is facing. It's too early to say, but in in a way, the markets are, are, are not in you know catastrophe mode in the UK. They seem to be more catast- catastrophic over over in the continent. Bruno, what's the reaction been in Brussels so far? <coughs> I think that last point is the, the really, really important point. So, so if, 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 if growth in the UK next year is down, you know, one up to 1.5% uh, percentage points of GDP, um, Britain, can, Britain can get through that. It's not in recession. If the Eurozone is down 0.5% or 0.6% next year, then they are in technical recession with all the problems that, that you could start seeing in terms of bank liquidity or increase in joblessness, and also, you know, the, the re-emergence of some of these uh, differences in, in bond spreads that we saw in the Eurozone crisis. So the worry actually is that the instability will hit the Eurozone um, hardest, which is why the ECB, along with the Bank of England, are really sort of playing hard to sort of to, 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 to encourage the idea that actually, um, whilst there has been this event, there will be stability. And on the way to doing this podcast, I bumped into a senior Eurozone official um, here in Brussels, and he was just saying, look, everyone's got to calm down. Life's going to go on. And it's really important that over the next, um, particularly over the next sort of two or three weeks, that we just have a bit of you know, calming everyone down and sort of getting back to normal. And if you listen to Hollande and Merkel and Tusk, they've all been sort of saying, you know, we don't like this decision, um, but we're going to take it easily. Um, we've got plenty... Um, of time, we're going to sort this out sort of rationally and sensibly because they don't want to stir things up. In short, what would you say this result means for the for the future of the European project? I mean, anti-EU sentiment isn't just limited to British shores; it's it's a growing. So it's been it's been something that's been noted across the continent. Yes, I mean absolutely. I think political contagion is 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 the 
is the biggest biggest risk. And I mean, in one sense, I mean, you're, you know, in Britain, everyone's looking at the the impact um, of this on on Britain um, today, and that's completely rational. That's completely um, sensible. In the European Union, this is the biggest crisis the European Union has ever faced. The European Union. I mean, remember, you think over the last five years since the Greek debt crisis, how often Merkel, Sarkozy, Hollande, Draghi have insisted that the EU, the euro, is irreversible, it's irrevocable. Well, now Britain's voted to leave. It's not irreversible. It's not irrevocable. Euro scepticism in countries like um, France and Italy is actually at higher levels um, than in Britain. So the real risk is political contagion because now the EU is up for grabs. The EU can be reversed. Anti-EU campaigners in various countries today have already sort of come out in France, in the Netherlands, for example, have already come out and called for similar votes in, in their countries. Do you think that's likely in the coming years? Well, I think, I mean, one vote we've got, we know is going to be happening um, later on this year. It's going to be a referendum in Hungary on, on migrant quotas. We know that Hungary is on manoeuvres and, and Hungary and possibly Poland and the Czech Republic might uh, demand that they're, they're li- they remove, they have legal obligations to join the euro under their treaties. They will want those uh, obligations lifted. Again, that makes the euro look a bit um, weak of a really big vote coming up next year, which everyone's absolutely terrified of, is the French presidential um, elections. And you have an incumbent uh, president, Francois Hollande, who's going to have to get through a primary. And it's not even looking like he can get through a primary. So France is in this sort of state of flux of near panic behind all the calm words we were getting from Hollande out of Paris today. There is a sense of real growing panic about what is going to happen um, in that election. What is Hollande going to say to French voters who are really sick of the Eurozone, they're sick of the EU, they don't think it's working. It's the same kind of anger that we saw um, during the British referendum campaign. What's he going to say to them? How is he going to show them that things have changed? It's crazy because we think the French are the ones who benefit most from the European Union um, and they're furious. Well, there's also on Sunday uh, the Spanish elections and we've got uh, this sort of startup left-wing party which is uh, which now looks like it may come second mm. second in elections and they're, and they're Eurosceptic as well I mean so there's you know the, the the sort of anti-EU sentiment is no longer just on the fringes in Europe that it, it's really making inroads into the into the sort of center of the political establishment so that it is it, it's a, the, this political contagion stuff is a genuine threat and that's what has always driven uh, the concerns across the eurozone and when we saw the height of the eurozone debt crisis back in 20 2012 i think it was um, or t- or late 2011 you know it's a political project and will there be the the political will and ability to keep it together the times business podcast is sponsored by vodafone's ready business britain 2016 has been branded the year of the sme this is your year time for your business to stand out are you ready Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Catherine, back in back in London, Morgan Stanley has already reportedly started to relocate 2,000 investment bankers to either Dublin or Frankfurt. Can we expect to see quite a bit of this over the next few weeks and months? Yeah, I mean, I think we can expect to see some of that. Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Goldman, they've all kind of come out and grumbled about the prospect of Brexit. It seems odd that Morgan Stanley is kind of getting on with it so quickly because really no one knows at this point remotely what what the rules will be, what the rules of the interaction will be between the UK and Europe. So the big thing for banks 
is this thing called passporting, which means that if you're a member of the EU, you can basically be based in any, in any one of the countries and, and then just go to another member country and carry out your activities. That's the thing that has to be replaced. Uh, there are lots of people who think the UK will be able to negotiate something just the same, um, but there's uncertainty until that's mm. negotiated and it could take quite a long time. Um, so the banks have got a slightly tricky, the investment banks, which is really what we're talking about here, the basically the US banks that, that are in the UK and then they use passporting to get into other countries, have a slightly tricky decision to make, whether they just stick with the UK until clarity comes or whether they sort of try to get some sort of weird first mover advantage. But I think the feeling is that London is a place that people want to be and work and I'm just not remotely convinced that Frankfurt or all these other places that have been mooted will overtake it. Phil, we've we've heard briefly from George Osborne today, who's been on the phone to G7 colleagues, some people uh, assume in Westminster he, that he will leave the Treasury at the same point that David Cameron leaves Downing Street over the coming months. If that's true, what's his legacy after six years as Chancellor? Well, it's not it's not actually that that bad a legacy. He had a pretty abysmal economy to uh, to take care of, um, and he, you know, as unpopular as he has made himself at times, he has managed to reduce the budget deficit by almost two thirds, I think it is at the moment. And uh, he has pushed through some reforms, such as uh, cutting corporation tax to make the UK more competitive. He has raised the uh, minimum wage to uh, which in theory is, is should help productivity, but will which should help our prosperity overall, but also kind of helps people at the lower end of the uh, of the wage scale. Uh, so he was dealt a very tough hand. Um, he managed to carry the population with him through the austerity cam- campaign, or the austerity that was needed to be delivered. Um, and so I, it, I'd say he was, he was, he's been v- relatively successful, particularly as most of that has been under the coalition. But I, I, I mean, the referendum was, cam- was David Cameron's decision, mm. um, and uh, he, he, he became the sort of. Uh, spearhead the leading uh, figure of negotiations and uh, uh, and you know i think he's damaged his credibility in the during the campaign with 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 the sort of punishment budget with the 4300 pounds a head hit I, it, you know with the warnings of recession and house price crashes and all this kind of uh, over the top scaremongering um and so that, I, I that's mean, been one, a of, one of the one of the things that's very interesting about the implications for whitehall of of britain leaving perhaps in October, well, by October, when, when Britain formally notifies the EU that it's leaving, is effectively they're going to have to create a Brexit department. So it'll have to have a trade ministry as uh, part of it. It's going to have to be a really big operation um, in Whitehall, a big centralised team under a, a senior cabinet minister. And a lot of, there's a lot of rumours that, 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 that people within the Treasury will pay a very, very uh, leading role in that, because, in fact, the Treasury is actually really with the Foreign Office, but the Treasury, in terms of the nitty-gritty of a lot of EU negotiations, is basically um, in the lead. So we might well see that figures, mandarins within the Treasury taking a leading um, role in that. And, of course, it would make sense for a new Chancellor um, to be the, the, the lead of this new Brexit department. Actually, one thing that's kind of interesting is that uh, Tom Scholar is meant to be moving over from the Cabinet Office to take over as head of the Treasury, but he is one of the most experienced people in dealing with with Europe. So whether or not he has to stay on and sort of head up that campaign will be kind of interesting because that might leave John Kingman having to run the Treasury. But of course, John Kingman is on the hit list of most Brexiteers because he's so associated with Osborne. 
Bruno, uh, in the short term, we have European leaders convening next week. I mean, what are we expecting to come out of that meeting? Um, well, they meet on they meet on Tuesday, and before that meeting, Hollande and, and Merkel will get together in uh, Berlin over dinner with the Italians, so they can present um, a, a united front. Um, and that's going to be very, very interesting because it will give us an idea of the shape of the European Union and its structures after after Britain um, leaves. And we're expecting David Cameron to say that he will, or his successor rather, will certainly, well, possibly by the 21st of October, another summit, formally notify um, the EU um, that Britain is going to leave. And while the summit is going on over that two-day period, all 27 um, other leaders will get together in the wings um, of that summit. So the first time Britain will be um, out of the room, and they'll start to talk about some of the ground rules for Britain. And one of the ground rules they will probably set is that if Britain wants to be in the single market, it is going to have to accept the jurisdiction of the EU courts, uniformity of EU law as it applies to the single market, and free movement, and free movement that is policed by the EU courts. And, and I can't see Britain being offered um, single market access without those, and I think that other EU leaders will want to set those ground rules very, very early on. That's about all we've got time for this week. You can keep up to date with the latest developments by visiting thetimes.co.uk and following us all on Twitter. You can also download the Redbox podcast with Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman for more on the Westminster fallout. Robert Miller will be back here next week. Thanks to Phil, Catherine and Bruno for joining us, to our producer David Maguire and to you for listening. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain.